Everybody come and play. Throw every last care away. Let's go to the mall today. Robin Sparkles. Welcome to another episode of Thelonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Stinsgaard, and along with me, as always, please say hello to our friend, our pal, Mr. AJ Mass. Don't forget the robot. Hey, it's me, AJ Mass. <laughs> Good to see you. Uh, yes. Did I ever tell you how I met your mother? Uh, I don't think we have that much time. <laughs> okay. So, anyway... Folks, this is a podcast about our show that we love, Criminal Minds. Each week, we take a look at an episode, recap it, profile it, if you will. I have never seen the show before, so it's a brand new experience for me. And AJ is our grizzled veteran who has seen each and every episode of the show many a time. So he'll be bringing you that perspective. This week, we're taking a look at Season 2, Episode 10 of Criminal Minds entitled Lessons Learned. This episode was written by Jim Clemente and directed by Guy Norman B. It originally aired on November 22nd, 2008. 2006. <laughs> AJ, <laughs> cut! No, not we're not going to cut. I've been uh, working on this intro several times, but this is the only version you folks are hearing. Anyway... It aired on November 22nd, 2006, AJ. I heard that. <laughs> yes. Uh, on this date that this episode aired, we don't have any fun news. Uh, we did sadly lose baseball journeyman pitcher Pat Dobson. Wow. We, who... <laughs> wow. No news <laughs> at all. I mean, I mean, not, I don't mean to laugh at Pat Dobson, <laughs> but Wow. <laughs> It was kind of sad. He died only one day after getting a diagnosis for leukemia. Oh, jeez. Way to bring the show down. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did, I'm did he sorry, also get folks. touched up for eight runs in the third of an inning the day before? <laughs> My goodness. Uh, oh, boy. Anyway, let's get on to the episode. <laughs> yeah, another bastion of hilarity this episode. <laughs> Lessons learned, AJ. Lessons learned. <laughs> this week, uh, we seem to open right in the middle of some action. We don't get told the city where we are, but we are with a SWAT team of uh, DEA agents. Yes, DEA agents, and they're breaching a shady-looking house. They clear it out pretty quickly, but they don't find anyone there. Apparently, it was supposed to be a meth lab, but instead, what they find is uh, an entrance to an escape tunnel under the house and then they find some device which i'm looking at i first thought it was a bomb i don't know it was a big scary looking mechanical device with tubes and vats and whatnot yeah it was it was an up to no good thing <laughs> exactly then we cut to the hotchner bedroom and a phone rings and wakes up hotch and his long-suffering wife Haley hotchner <laughs> Uh, Hotch answers the phone and says, when uh, did they raise the terror alert? All right, get everybody in. I'll be there in a minute. 
Haley is like, what's going on? Hotch tries to say nothing much, but Haley knows it's probably something bad. And of course, she knows that Hotch will be late getting home. Hotch then realizes they had scheduled the next day for some kind of pictured day or or model shoot with young Jack. Um, And I'm starting to worry that maybe Jack's main purpose for at least these first few years of the show is just going to be what Hotch was supposed to do that day. But work, unfortunately, interrupted that. It, it seems to be a building trend, does it not? <laughs> <laughs> so, but but uh, credit to Hotch, he, he remembered that right, this was this going time. on this time, as opposed to, what the heck are you doing in my office, Haley? Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> You're my wife. Yes. <laughs> Haley does offer to uh, cancel, but uh, Hotch tells her, go ahead, take him. And most definitely, 100%, he will, at some capacity, try to possibly make it there. (laughs) Haley says, just get home safe. And he says he will. He kisses her and he leaves. We cut over to the BAU office and Hotch has arrived. He's saying, everybody meet Agent Prentice, who is there. Garcia has. And of course, JJ has already been hard at work filling her in on some different protocols Morgan introduces himself and starts to shake her hand, but Hotch immediately kills the mood on that <laughs> and tells them they can make nice later. They've got work to do. So JJ uh, tells them that the DA- DEA raided what they thought was a meth lab here in Northern Virginia, and they found this. She puts up the picture of that device. Morgan says it could be a chemical weapon dispersal device. And JJ says Homeland Security is thinking it's Al-Qaeda. Reed mentions they've developed devices that span the spectrum of sophistication, some as simple as soda bottles and paint cans. They're called Al-Iktera. And Prentice says, literally, the invention. And Reed gives her a look like, hey, I'm supposed to say that kind of thing. <laughs> and confirms her well, she, she she's correct. <laughs> yes, yes. They uh, don't know what the biological or chemical agent is in the in the uh, device. Uh, JJ says that the cell members apparently escaped through a tunnel and that the DEA did recover a Nextel two-way device uh, and managed to... In- remember Nextel? <laughs> remember Al-Qaeda? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they did manage to intercept a message. JJ starts to pass it out, but it's not a direct transcript. It's written in Arabic, which Prentice grabs immediately and starts translating. Our friends surprised us and eloped. We can no longer wait for the wedding as planned. We can deliver our gift at the next crescent. And then Prentice looks up and realizes they're all looking at her like she's a crazy person. (laughs) And... She explains that she lived in several Middle Eastern countries while growing up. She doesn't get into that she's the ambassador's daughter here. I thought that might have been a nice little... But as Hotch says, we don't have time for... Yeah, we can make nice later. For, for all this stuff. <laughs> so Gideon's like the next crescent. And Prentice says, well, you know, Muslims sometimes use a lunar calendar. Um, she's going to have to look it up. But meanwhile, Garcia has already been furiously clickety-clacking... And she informs them that the next crescent moon is in two days. Sometimes this show is a little over over dense for its own good. Like 
uh, or, or just over explaining and this like the next crescent yeah ne- the moon like what what the next time she makes breakfast with Pillsbury like <laughs> yes <laughs> we, we got it it's the moon like we we understand uh, although you just made me want to roll for some reason <laughs> Gideon says, so whatever they're going to be attacking, whatever they're planning, it's going to happen in less than 48 hours. So that gives us our, our clock for the episode. Every episode needs a clock. Uh, JJ says they have linked this Nextel account to this man and shows us a picture. It's Jind Allah. And Prentice says, literally, soldier of God. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's going to get annoying, literally. <laughs> yes. Uh Morgan is not too impressed with the security for this sophisticated plan since they were able to figure out this much. And JJ lets them know that actually Jind Allah was captured two months ago trying to leave the U.S. He's been held as a ghost detainee at Guantanamo Bay ever since. Gideon remarks that Soldier of God doesn't seem to be a name. Prentice says it's probably the name for the Jihad which she goes into explaining holy war, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Reed has to say a little something about how holy and war never appear next to each other in the Quran. Anyway, the point is they don't know this guy's real name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't know this, this guy's real name. And again, remember a time when we had to be explained to what Islamic Jihad was? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, different times. So uh, basically, the CIA has had this guy They've at Gitmo for, for a couple of months. They haven't been able to get anything out of him. So they've uh, asked BAU team to come down and see if they can and break, uh, see if they can come down and break him. They do know a little bit of information about him. He's a recruiter. He was in the U.S. to assemble what they called the Omega cell, a sleeper cell that has some unknown mission. And Morgan, ever the positive influence, says, so we have 48 hours to do what the CIA hasn't been able to manage in months. And Gideon, as usual, gets to drop drop the dramatic pre-credits line. He says, we could be looking at the first attack on our soil since 9-11. Then we see a close-up shot of Jindala chanting something to himself. And we go to credits. We come back. Gideon is leaving the office. He asks Hotch if his car is ready because he told Reed it would be five minutes. And Hotch says he should uh, probably also bring Prentice along, which Gideon initially balks at. And mind you, while he's doing this, that they are out in the open area of the office and Prentice is like right there. 10, 15 feet away from them, staring at this conversation. Gideon's talking about how he doesn't know what her capabilities are. Hotch is like, we've got to find out sooner or later, and she's the only team member fluent in Arabic. Gideon says, well, there's other translators, and Hotch says, yeah, but they haven't studied behavior. And Gideon's like, does she even have her ready bag yet? (laughs) And Hotch says, I don't think there's much that she's not prepared for. At which point she pulls out her ready bag from underneath her table and puts it on the desk and is just like <clears throat> staring at them. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Need, need something? <laughs> Gideon walks past her, tells her the car leaves in four minutes. She looks uh, happy. She looks relieved. She says, yes, sir. We cut to the BAU jet flying and 
Gideon gives us a voiceover with our opening quote. Dale Turner mused. Some of the best lessons are learned from past mistakes. The error of the past is the wisdom of the future. Yeah, we're going to give this our slide title has been said because it's the only time we're going to hear lessons learned and it's lessons are learned. But okay, close enough. The words were said. We know what they meant. Boom. It's a pass. Yeah. Gideon and Reed are sitting there playing chess and Prentice is is watching them. She uh, tries to thank Gideon for bringing her along. But Gideon's like, don't thank me. You're coming to do a job. Very gruff. Gruff Gideon. Gideon don't like new people. He does not. Uh, Reed tries to break the tension with the question asking if they think Jindala's interrogation will work in time. And Gideon says, interrogation is the most dynamic form of profiling. And Prentice accurately but bravely says, well, that's not an answer. <laughs> and then, sir, after a moment, and Reed is looking at her like, uh-oh, it's about to go down. <laughs> but I, I think, obviously, I think Gideon likes to be challenged. So he actually seems to respect this. He tells her that Jen has been locked away in Gitmo. Uh, He doesn't know that they've raided the safe house, so they have an advantage right now. They've got to get him talking about anything, and then his language and body movements will betray him. Gideon starts to use the chess game as some sort of metaphor for what they're doing, and he lets Prentice know, hey, she's there to listen. She's fluent in Arabic. She'll, She'll know the different nuances in the language. She should be watching for any subtext or ulterior meaning. Meanwhile, Reed should just watch the body language for tells, nonverbals, micro expressions. He should watch first when Jindala is comfortable and relaxed, and then note any behavioral changes when he's under stress. They're trying to establish a baseline, and then they can read him once Gideon challenges his beliefs in order to get him to give up where or how the attack will happen. This guy is going to have to reveal himself. And then he says, game over, and Reed's like, what? And all of a sudden, the pe- the plane banks sharply, uh, enough to cause the chessboard to fall to the floor. Seemed like quite a, a heavy bank, but uh, Gideon explains it, says Gitmo's runway is perpendicular to Cuban airspace, so approaching aircraft have to negotiate a last-minute 90-degree right turn in order to a land, in, in order to land, they call it the Gitmo Twist. In Vedra! <laughs> twist, twist. <laughs> twist, twist. Oh. I, Nobody I have, under 40 is going to get that. No. But. <laughs> I, I have flown into certain airports in Florida where you... Not not a Gitmo Twist, I think. But there's 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 a, a, a heavy bank as you, you're pulling into some of these airports here. So I, I'm not surprised. Okay. Reed is a... Sp- a bit surprised and upset because he thought he was winning the game. And Prentice is like, actually, uh, he had you, it would have had you in three moves. And Gideon just looks at Reed like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Emily's better than you, Reed. <laughs> All of a sudden, Gideon likes her a little bit more than he did a few minutes ago. <laughs> yes. Uh, then we're going to cut to the safe house location, AJ. 
Uh, the, well, yeah, the, uh, the terror the, cell house. Not really a the, safe house. Well, yes. It was the terror safe house, yes. It wasn't uh, very safe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, indeed. It's where we see Morgan and Hotchner introducing themselves to the lead of the DEA team that ran the raid. Uh, her name is Bonnie Ryan. And they go take a look at the device. And a DEA agent is there and he's like, hey, Morgan. And Morgan is like, what's up, Kenny? <laughs> and uh, Kenny lets them know it's safe to check out the device. I, I'm wondering at this point, is this guy Kenny important? That he seems to have a pre-established relationship with Morgan. But- I think it's it's more it's more just a case of we've mentioned so many times that Morgan has this previous experience with bomb making and diffusing and you know. True. So the fact that yeah, he would know some of these agents once in a while. It doesn't have to be every week, but when we're talking about other FBI agents or DEA or someone's knowing someone in the BAU makes sense, and I'm glad they start putting it in here because it'd be weird if you know. Oh yeah, we work. We worked here for 15 years and have no coworkers other than our own family that we know. Right. <laughs> so uh, Morgan checks out the device. He confirms it seems to be a chemical dispersal device, like he mentioned. Uh, then they start to look around the place. Morgan says it looks like it was a four-man cell. And Hotch is looking at the clothes in the closet, saying it looks like they assimila- assimilated into the community. Oh, no, they were bored. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, Morgan is looking at some CDs. And he says, uh, they're just like any other suburban gangster wannabes rolling at the mall. And uh, Ryan asks what they're dealing with. Hotch says, most likely uh, Middle Eastern males in their early 20s. And Morgan says, judging by the device, they are looking at significant targets, probably military installations, government buildings, that type of thing. I just want to point out here, and you know, hey, you know, spoilers, we're spoiling this whole episode anyway, at some point. Morgan's first instinct is to mention them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's his gut instinct. And then, he, then he puts on his BAU brain and everything. But Morgan figured it out right there. Yeah. What the target was. And it's hysterical to me that 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 it's it's dropped in there subconsciously for us. So when you hear them all, you're like, oh, yeah. Were they thinking about them all? No, they never really were. But somehow Morgan kind of knew. We cut to uh, Guantanamo Bay, the detention center. And uh, still chanting to himself, Jindala is dragged into a room by... Two interrogators or soldiers or what have you. Uh, Jen is just in his underwear. His You can see bruises on his legs. Looks like maybe he's been beaten. He's uh, handcuffed and secured to the floor. Gideon, Reed, and Prentice meet up with the FBI supervisor, whose name is Andy Bingaman. This actor looks real familiar to me. Maybe you'll tell me who he is. Maybe you won't. Maybe it'll be in the quiz. I don't know. I just, I couldn't place him. I know I know this guy, though, from somewhere. He's one of those, those, one of those, those guys. Oh, almost everybody who ever appears in the show is one of those guys. <laughs> yes. So they uh, walk to an office as Benjamin explains that they haven't been able to get anything out of Jinnala uh, for two, for two months, uh, two weeks ago. Word got out that one of the other detainees was spilling secrets. Jindala had a three-minute conversation with him in the shower line. And later that night, the other detainee committed suicide. So they look 
at Allah, still chanting. He's on a monitor. And Prentice says uh, he appears to be reciting the Quran from memory. He's most likely a Hafez. Hafiz. Hafez. He's going to Hafez this. (laughs) Hafiz. Uh, Reed adds that some Muslim children are able to do this since age 12. And Bingaman says that's all they've gotten out of him after these two months of interrogation. Uh, they do note some cuts and bruises on the guy, and Gideon asks, uh, what kind of tactics are you guys using? And Bingaman says what sounds to me like a very prepared line about how uh, he's in charge, but his protests about the methods they use have been ignored. Yeah, right. Uh <laughs> I mean, I just want to go on record with you that I have a problem with this, but I've gone on record with nobody, really. Right. (laughs) Don't put that in writing. You didn't do that to me. (laughs) Gideon does hatch a plan where they're going to proceed as usual and then with the interrogation, and then Gideon is going to interrupt them and demand that they stop harassing him. They decide they're not going to tell the interrogators in advance so that their reaction will be more believable. And Bingaman orders uh, an interrogation to begin, then asks Gideon if he's really going to put on a show for these guys, as he calls it. And Gideon says, it's not for them. It's for Jendela. He needs to see Gideon as a complete contrast from what he's come to expect. And this is really the best way to get him talking. And they do have less than 36 hours. Yeah, he's he's going to play good cop and the other guy's going to play bad cop, but he isn't need to tell them to play bad cop because he knows they're gonna play bad cop right they're bad cops basically so it's like yeah i'm just gonna fit fit in with the uh with the alternative to what they are and i know they're horrible <laughs> exactly yeah so, andy, andy bingham has is just one of those guys he's been in a lot of things actor named kevin chapman he's been a bunch of things but you know one episode here always playing a cop for the most part okay uh person of interest uh and he's I think that's where I immediately recognize him. And currently doing a stint on uh, Kevin Can Believe Himself. Uh, Which I have not watched. Anyway. Uh, (laughs) Okay, good to know. Thank you, though. It's definitely... That's what uh, I'm here for, to do do the IMDb. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, they start their interrogation... Reed and Prentice are staying put at the monitors in the office to to observe everything as per their instructions. You can tell these guys are already aggressively, these agents are already aggressively going at uh, Jendala. They're questioning him. Gideon walks in and interrupts them as per his plan. They're like, who the hell are you? And Gideon introduces himself. Special agent Gideon, special supervisory agent Gideon. And says, it's time to show this man some respect. Uh, So the uh, interrogators, I can't say the word, interrogators? Interrogators. (laughs) Interrogators. Oh, AJ, what a week. The interrogators are (laughs) like, uh, you got to be kidding me with this. And Gideon tells them, look, they have orders from Bingaman. They need to leave while he speaks to this detainee alone. They look to the door and Bingaman is there beckoning to them to come out. So grumbling and mumbling, they leave and Gideon hands Jen some prison clothes and apologizes for the treatment he suffered. Says if he doesn't mind, he'd like to spend a little bit of time with them. We cut to Prentice and Reed watching and they note 
as uh, Jindala stops his recitation. Prentice says he's sizing Gideon up, and Reed is just madly writing down notes, which I'm sure we'll find out what they're saying later. Uh, we cut back to Jindala, who says, if, if I don't mind, because he is surprised that he's being asked <laughs> anything <laughs> and what, what the uh, next step would be. And Gideon says, well, he wants to know him as a person. He wants to know his faith, his ideology. And Jen says, well, to what end? And Gideon says, well, studying human behavior is what I do. It's my gig, baby. <laughs> Fly me to the moon. <laughs> we cut back to the uh, the meth house slash chemical weapon facility. <laughs> and they're still searching the place. And Morgan is saying, if these guys are fundamentalists, you'd think they'd have Qurans around, prayer mats, that type of thing. Agent Ryan says they didn't find anything like that. And Hotch says, well, they probably have at least one other location. Morgan does find a bunch of papers in what looks like the, uh, a shoebox. And he says it looks like there are a li- bunch of lists of chemicals. So he calls Garcia to feed her the list of chemicals so that she can clickety-clack. We cut back to Gideon, who is telling Jindala that he hopes with greater understanding one day they can come to a peaceful resolution of their differences. He doesn't know what he's done or what he's planning to do, but unlike the other detainees here, he seems to have an education and the intelligence to convey the nuances of his culture. And that's what interests him. (laughs) I mean, I get it. (laughs) I get it. He's trying, but who's going to fall for this? (laughs) He's laying it on thick. It's way too thick. And I'm glad that Jindala is not falling for this at all. He's, it's a cat and mouse that's going on. And I think Jindala is is enjoying the game of it all. But uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm. Oh, I'm so smart. I'm. I'm not like the other people here. Sure, I know what's going on here. He's just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. It's. It's. It's a nice cat and mouse. Yeah, and getting he Jindala's like, yeah. When I don't give you what you want, I know what's going to happen. And Gideon is like, hey, I've sworn to uphold the U.S. Constitution. <laughs> um, I don't know about these other clowns. <laughs> I'm a good guy. We cut back to uh, Morgan, who is hanging up with Garcia. Hotch asks what she said. Morgan says, Garcia says, this list looks like a list of additives needed to weaponize anthrax. We get dramatic music and cut to a break. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> anthrax. It's always anthrax. Yes. <laughs> with public enemy. No. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what you're going to do. Wrap it up. <laughs> We cut back to the Gitmo office. Time for Jindala get wicked. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Prentice is asking Reed if they could get enough anthrax. And uh, Reed says, well, the letter that they sent to Senator Daschle's office in 2002 only contained two grams of purified spores. But that would have been enough to kill 25 million people if effectively distributed. And Prentice is like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) They uh, watch Gideon talking to Jindala, and Prentice can tell from the way that he talks uh, that he's most likely Egyptian. 
They watch as Allah asks what kind of name is Gideon, and Gideon answers, American, American. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Jindala says, I often forget that in your culture, you put your country first and your God last. Prentice lets Gideon know through his earpiece that uh, Jindala was born and raised in Egypt. So Gideon says, you don't consider yourself Egyptian as well as Muslim? And Jindala is like, Egyptian? In two minutes, you know more about me than those thugs found out in two months. <laughs> it's like, kudos to whoever's watching through the cameras, is what he's really saying. Yes. <laughs> Gideon says, well, they and I have had uh, very different motives. And Jindala says, and yet your country relies on them to protect you from us. And Gideon says, well, sometimes they're their own worst enemy. And Jindala says, well, who's your worst enemy, Agent Gideon? And Gideon says, it's not a who, it's a what? Ignorance. Good answer. That's like a a job interview answer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Jindala says, you're a very honest man. And Gideon says, and you, you must have become a Hafez by, what, age 10? And Jin says, profoundly, at age 9. Gideon says that anyone with discipline and dedication to memorize the entire entire Quran by age 9 must have a very serious reason to choose a life of violence. Gideon gets up, and Jin Dala says, we're done already? And Gideon's like, no, not at all. But the sun is about to set. Mecca's in the, that direction. I'll have a prayer rug and a water bowl sent in for you. And that's just a great move. That's a great yeah. move by Gideon. Like, oh, and I'm going to respect your traditions, even if I don't necessarily subscribe to them. Uh, peace out. Yes. <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> Think on that, Jindala. <laughs> <laughs> and on your brand new prayer rug. Uh, cut yeah, to I, was, I, was, I mean you know it's, it's at some point you're just gonna say to these two we get a room already but they have the room so <laughs> can you turn off the cameras please <laughs> oh no <laughs> uh, we cut to uh garcia clickety clacking away jj comes in and asks what's up garcia garcia says the nsa is routing her all kinds of messages for language analysis Garcia also says that rumor has it during national security emergencies, our country turns all of its satellites homeward and records all electronic traffic in the USA. And JJ wants to know if that's legal. Garcia isn't thinking about that right now. She's thinking that somewhere in these messages, there could be a shred of something that could save a whole lot of lives. JJ uh, gets that point, says, all right, uh, try cross-referencing, uh, gift and wedding illusions they they're going to be these guys are going to be consistent with their codes uh, garcia does find a message from just 2 hours ago that says it rained all over the wedding but the gift is in the barn so jj has her do a search on the words barn and wedding she clickety clacks and comes up with a another message the wedding will now be held at vincent's barn off link and Annandale. Wrap the gift for delivery. And that's not a gift that Garcia wants to get. Mm-mm. But again, clickety-clack, clickety-clack. Who knew that you could just control H and solve the crime? Yeah. 
apparently JJ and Garcia, because they do all the work every freaking week. Amen. <laughs> so uh, JJ calls Hotch. She tells him they think that they found the cell's backup location. And apparently it's a construction site in Annandale, Virginia. And it sounds like they probably have another device that's ready to arm. Hotch says he'll have Agent Ryan organize another raid. And he tells her to notify Gideon and Reed. He doesn't mention Prentice, by the way. I thought that was interesting. Well, you know, hey, it's it, it's fine. He's, he's got to get into the habit of saying it. Yeah. He, do, he, he doesn't know yet which name he wants to call her by. <laughs> Last name, first name. It all depends, right? Well, I'm assuming we're calling her Prentice. I don't want to get into another L... Uh, Greenaway situation here. But I'm just saying, some people, some people, you know, it's it, it could be an L situation where he suddenly decides, oh, let's, you know, it's JJ, maybe which I know is a nickname, but you know, it's not Jero. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we do come back to the interrogation. Uh, Gideon is back with Jindala. He's standing by a table actually, where there's a bunch of bottles of water. And uh, Gideon offers him some, but Allah says uh, that he offers it to Gideon first, which is very clear that Gideon is supposed to drink the water to show that it's not been tainted with something. So he takes a sip and then passes it to uh, Allah. Then Gideon asks him to explain why he's ignoring the fact that Muhammad preached passivity while in Mecca, do no violence. And Jin says, well, we go by his later message from Medina, which was perfectly clear. When violence come upon you, you must fight fight back with violence. And Reed uh, says into Gideon's earpiece that he's quoting from the Hadith, not from the Quran. It's called a verse of the sword. And they argue that it cancels out earlier teachings. So Gideon says, verse of the sword, just someone spins on the word of the prophet. It's not even part of the Quran. Jin says, but it does say in the Quran, fight and slay the infidels wherever you find them and seize them in every stratagem of war. Gideon says, unless they repent, establish regular prayers and practice regular charity. Jin asks Gideon if he's going to revert to Islam. And Gideon says, he is a man of faith. He has repented. He prays regularly. He practices charity. He's never committed any kind of violence against him. How is it that his faith would allow Jin to live and worship as he pleases and Jin's would take his life and snuff it out? Jin starts to say, you're misguided. But if you revert to Islam, Gideon interrupts him, says, a billion Muslims managed to practice their faith in peace for Allah is surely merciful. Jen thinks about it and starts to go into a story. He says, you inquired about my childhood earlier. It was a happy one until one day a bomb leveled the bazaar where I was with my family. I was only eight. Gideon says that must have been horrifying for such a young boy. We cut to Reed and Prentice watching. She says he's opening up about himself. And Reed says, maybe. Uh, he calls Garcia and asks her to check to see if she can find out anything on a bombing in a bazaar in Egypt 30 years ago. <laughs> That's pretty vague, pretty narrow. Uh, but he's just trying to find out if Jinda's being truthful. He doesn't need all the details. He just wants to know if it happened. Garcia is going to try to clickety-clack to that. And we cut back to Jinda La, who was saying that 
when the rubble cleared, half of his family was dead, and it was on that day he swore his life to vengeance for Allah. Gideon says, and that's the reason that these guys are holding you and that you can never leave. Your only hope is to tell Gideon so that maybe one day Gideon can share his struggle with the world. Jim says, well, your government doesn't even admit that I exist, so how are you going to possibly even tell my story? Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? <laughs> it all I'm relates. I'm going to make a musical. Look, you don't understand. I have ties to Broadway. You should see my work in Sunday in the Park. It's great. I can do a whole <laughs> big jindalash. <laughs> We uh, cut to the construction site in Annandale. The the DEA team and Hotch, Ryan and Morgan, uh, breach the site, so to speak. They find an empty trailer. It appears that they've missed these guys yet again. Hotch calls Reed, who is with Prentice and Gideon. He tells them they found nothing. They're, They're looking for escape tunnels now. And Reed says they're running out of time. The attack is supposed to take place in less than 24 hours. I thank you for that update. Prentice says, so getting Jindala to talk is the only chance we have of finding them. So Gideon decides he's going to confront Jindala with the truth to show him his hand. He goes back into the interrogation room and tells Allah he's going to give him the respect of telling him what has just happened. A team of agents raided an Omega Cell location. Actually, both locations. His men are in place in Annandale as they speak, so he gains nothing by remaining silent. Jindala just says, Jihad is forever, and Reed does notice he's doing something with his hands. He tells Gideon something's wrong. He thinks that Jin seems relieved by what Gideon just told him. Gideon leaves the room, and then he immediately calls Hotch, Tells him to get everybody out of there now, now, now. It's a trap. Yes. Hotch says, everybody out. It's a trap. They start to rush out. And we see the trailer explode. And we cut to a break. We come back and are in uh, Garcia's office. We see immediately a report on our monitor with breaking news about a gas main explosion in Annandale, Virginia. But Garcia is not watching that at the moment. She's asking J.J., how a terror cell got their hands on anthrax without a single lab reporting a security breach. And JJ asks if they would know if a foreign lab had such a breach, which Garcia admits that they wouldn't know. JJ at that moment notices the news report about the explosion, and she says, isn't Annandale where Morgan and Hotch are? Uh, Garcia looks at the screen and is like, "Uh uh-oh, that's not a gas main explosion. She grabs the phone, frantically makes a call, saying, please pick up, please pick up, please pick up. And she's kind of in panic mode now and even tearing up a little bit because she's so worried. Uh, But Morgan does indeed answer the phone. Garcia is so relieved. She barely can even speak at first. Morgan's like, Garcia, Garcia. And she finally says that they saw the explosion on the TV Morgan says, yeah, they did lose a SWAT agent. Oh my god, they killed Kenny! You bastards! <sighs> you stole my joke, but okay. <laughs> it's, hey, it's that the, joke that's was, the game you play. <laughs> <laughs> I should have led with the joke. Uh, it, I mean, it was sitting right it's there sitting the whole there. Yeah, show. Like, whoever <laughs> didn't, yeah. 
I, I have a feeling that's the only reason they named him Kenny. Uh, <laughs> yes, the SWAT agent they lost was uh, Kenny. JJ's like, what's going on? Uh, Garcia says, they're all right. They did lose the SWAT agent. And back at the scene, Kenny's body is being taken away and Agent Ryan is mad. Uh, Hotchett says that, that he's sorry about Kenny. And uh, they tell Agent Ryan that the chatter was all a setup. They must have known that they'd be listening, and they led them straight there. Ryan says, just tell me you know where to look next. And Hotch actually says, well, no, not yet. We cut to Gideon hanging up a phone and Reed asking if they're okay. And Gideon says they were right about the trap. It was rigged to explode. Again, they mentioned that a SWAT agent was killed. Prentice asks if Anthrax was involved, and Gideon says no. And Reed says, so then this is not the final target. Gideon goes back into the room with Jind. He tells Gideon that he looks troubled, and Gideon says, you killed one of my men. And Jind says, well, I was here with you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, fair. (laughs) Yes. Gideon says that the second location was a trap. One of his agents was killed in the explosion. Jin says, this is a war. We expect casualties, shouldn't you? And Gideon says that he was a good man. And Jin says, well, if he would convert, then there would be no reason for him to fear death. And Gideon says, well, what do you say to his family? That gets Jin a little bit emotional of a state. And he he has a tear in his eye. And he says, I say, where were you to mourn when my son was murdered? Cut to Reed and Prentice watching. Prentice says, his son... And Reed points out that when he told the story about his childhood, the bomb landing in the bazaar, and he told them about that, his behavior had changed. Prentice says, yeah, but we know he was lying because Garcia didn't find any record of a bombing during that the time that Jen Allah was a boy. And Reed says, yeah, but this time, when he mentioned his son, he looked at his hands like he had to concentrate to control and hold in his anger. The first story wasn't about him. It was about his son, which means it must have been more recent. Reed calls Garcia and tells her to check bombings in Egypt again, but this time within the last 10 years and looking for civilian casualties. Garcia clickety-clacks. She brings up uh, one report from seven years ago about a a bombing in Cairo. Uh, Egyptian government blamed Hezbollah, but... The conspiracy theories on the streets claimed it was a joint U.S.-Israeli strike that went astray. And through this report, Garcia can now identify the detainee. His name is Jamal Abaza, and his son is was eight years old. His name was Amir Abaza, uh, and Amir was killed in the blast. And again, very convenient clickety-clacking here, because all she did was find the article, and all of a sudden... Magically, a picture of uh, Jamal Abaza appears. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Pretty special, Garcia. <laughs> yes. Uh, Reed, so Reed's like, okay, find out everything you know about that. Then he walkie-talkies to Gideon to let him know that they have his real identity. Jindala, I'm still calling him Jindala. Uh, yeah, fair. It appears there will be no peaceful resolution to their difficulties after all. And Gideon says he hasn't yet given up that hope. Oh, by the way, it's time for your salute ul-isha prayers. Um, we'll speak again tomorrow. 
And Jen is like, you're asking me? And Gideon says, yes. And Jen says, well, tomorrow then. So again, offering him a time to do his prayers. Gideon is on point with his prayer schedule. Hey, it's like, we respect the culture. And, you know, slowly but surely he hopes that perhaps, uh, at least between the two of them, they'll be honest with each other. Even though they're, they're clearly never going to see it eye to eye on the big picture. But they, they could... They, be nice about it. They don't be screaming and yelling and jihadding each other in the room. <laughs> we cut to a bit later. Garcia is telling them that Jamal Abaza was in the U.S. for a while. He then volunteered as a prison imam at the Deerfield Correctional Center three years ago. And Reed says if he was a prison imam, he must have recruited MIS, uh, which is Militant Islamic Society members. And as he walks through this, we see Reed walking through a prison scene all of a sudden, except for Reed is in full color and the prisoners are all black and white and the imam is is preaching to them and uh, Reed is going on about how the recruitment goes on and and they wind up getting a bunch of different ethnicities, but they're all people who have slipped through the cracks, ones that uh, other traditional groups don't accept and it's made up largely of American citizens who have a reason for hating the government. And Gideon says, we're looking at homegrown terrorists. Oh, no. And we cut to a break. Yeah, you know, you pretty much, I think we've seen enough episodes here that when they resort to the clever visual trickery to tell these stories, you know, even the writers are going, God, this is boring. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, do come back to Gideon and team, and they've uh, come to, apparently, it looks like maybe the cafeteria at Gitmo. Where well, the- I mean, the, the, behind, the back of house for, for the guards yeah. cafeteria, not like... Yes, not the, <laughs> not the, not the uh, ghost detainee yeah. <laughs> lunch buffet. Um <laughs> I hear there's mystery meat and mystery prisoners. <laughs> Coincidence? Let's not get into that any further. The two CIA agents who were questioning... Um, I believe Jim the word you're looking Alon- for is interrogating. <laughs> yes, interrogating Jindala. They're sitting there uh, having a snack. They look up and ask Gideon what the hell does he want. And Gideon says, well, the name Jamal Abaza doesn't mean anything to you. One of the agents says Abaza was an imam in Cairo, preached jihad to his followers, fell off the grid about seven years ago. And Gideon says that's because when his son died, he took the jihad name Jind Allah. He came to America to recruit sleeper cells. The CIA, one of the CIA guys, he gets up. He's like, are you telling us that the detainee in there is Jamal Abaza? Which, yeah, is what he was telling them. (laughs) And uh, Gideon is like, it's amazing what you learn when you talk to people. (laughs) Thought that was a nice little dig at them. Hey, I talk to people. I got the the thunder here, the lightning here. I got my (laughs) nouns in this hand and my verbs in this hand. (laughs) I adjective all over them. So uh, Reed also mentions that this guy was also a prison imam in Virginia three years ago. And are you guys familiar with the Militant Islamic Society? And the CIA guy is. He says they're homegrown. And Prentice says, uh, we know 
that the cell Baza put together has access to anthrax, but we can't find any reports of anything missing in the States. And the CIA agents look at each other, and uh, one of them says, well, we have protocols to follow. And Gideon says, so you're going to allow a terrorist attack on U.S. soil because of protocols? Look, I told you what I learned in there because you and I, FBI, CIA, we have the ability to break through all the protocols and share information. So the CIA guy thinks about it. He says he'll uh, see what they have. Gideon tells them to coordinate with JJ and Garcia back at Quantico. And then meanwhile, Reed, Prentice, and Gideon walk back to the room with the monitors. And Reed asks Gideon if he thinks it will work. Gideon says he doesn't know. Prentice says that the CIA is tough. They play it close to the vest. And Gideon says, well, if they don't all work together, more people are going to die. A lot more. A lot, lot more. <laughs> la, la, Let's just raise the stakes. A lot, lot, lot more. <laughs> we then cut to JJ and Garcia. And now apparently the CIA is feeding them a ton of information. And so much, in fact, Garcia hopes it's not too much for her to be able to interpret. Uh, Gideon is back with Jen Dela. He asks him if he slept well, and he says yes for the first time since he's been there. Gideon says good, and Jen says until yesterday he was not permitted prayer. And Gideon says, well, we receive comfort from our prayers. And Jen does all, we? <laughs> and Gideon says, human beings. Did I say something wrong? And Jen says, uh, you placed us on the same level. And Gideon's like, well, aren't we? And Jen says, well, here I'm thought of as less than a human. Gideon says, and in your jihad, I am. And Jen asks Gideon, what does he really want from him? Gideon says, look, I already told you I want to understand you. And Jen says, if that's not possible, Gideon says, that would be my loss. It's time for prayers again, apparently. So Gideon <laughs> lets him, you know, it's time, tells him it's time for prayers. And he asks him if he can return later. And Jen says he looks forward to it. We cut back to Garcia and JJ. They do find a report in the CIA uh, documents mentioning anthrax, a place called Gin Immune, which is a duck. Dutch biotech firm, and they reported that they had a security breach and that they may be missing up to 20 grams of lab-grade anthrax, which could potentially kill a quarter of a billion people. A lot, 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 lot people. <laughs> yes. Stakes are high, AJ. We cut back to Reed and Prentice looking at Jindala in a monitor, and Red's, Reed says he seems much calmer now than he was yesterday. And that may make the reading of his body language less accurate. And Gideon says he knows. And Prentice is like, well, is that what we want? And Gideon says he hopes it is. He actually leaves before she can turn around and, and find out what he means. They're running out of time. And Prentice is like, he hopes so. And asks Reed if Reed's worried. And Reed says, no, he's been with Gideon long enough to trust him. Fair. Yeah, first first case with Gideon, and they didn't get off to a great start. So of course, you know, it makes sense that Prentice is a little a little nervous <laughs> as the clock goes tick tick tick. We cut back to Garcia and JJ, and uh, 
Now we learn that the CIA is now funneling them their Dutch terror watch list. You know, nothing Garcia loves more than a huge data dump. <laughs> yes. And Garcia is going to cross-reference that with port information they have, as well as customs and immigration enforcement. And JJ points out, you know, it would be a lot easier if all this information was centralized. And Garcia is like, dream on. No one wants the other kids peeing in their sandbox. <laughs> and Garcia has managed to clickety-clack up a name, one Tariq Muhammad, Dutch citizen, Islamic convert. Traveled to the U.S. four days under his original name, Andre Jansen. They have an address from, uh, for him for his, from his customs form. They call Hotch and Morgan to give them that lead. Hotch and Morgan are outside of the, this house with the FBI SWAT team. They're being very careful this time because they don't want to ha- risk another trap. Um, they did do an infrared scan, but... It didn't show anybody in the house. So the FBI SWAT guy says they're going to do a soft entry in case there's a, it's booby trapped. They bust in the house and start to clear it. Interestingly, the SWAT team does. I think Morgan heard the phrase booby trapped and decided he wasn't going to go anywhere near <laughs> breaking is, the door, is, kicking yeah, in the door in this time. Actually surprising to me because I would think Morgan hear the words booby <laughs> from right here. Well, yes. Where the booby at? Oh, trap. Yeah, that part. <laughs> We cut to eventually the FBI agents finding a room in the house that has a bunch of bodies in it. We cut to the SWAT leader telling Morgan and Hotch they have five deceased males, what looks to be like a crude lab, and the bodies were all shot in the head, execution style. Hotch asks if any anthrax was found on the scene. Apparently there was only residue Um, And they did find packing and tags from backpacks, which indicates that these guys are already on the move. So once again, Hotch and Morgan are too late. Yeah, so tags for a backpack. Too bad they didn't find the map. Find the map. Find the map. Find the map. Find the map! Because then they know where they were going. (laughs) Oh, boy. We uh, (laughs) then cut to a shady-looking van. Any white van is a shady-looking van. (laughs) uh, Especially on a TV show. Yes. And you can tell there are some guys that look like terrorists there. Uh, they were multi-ethnic, I think, just to make that point, that they were homegrown. Homegrown terrorists. Terrorists. Yes. They're on the highway, and they get off the highway at the exit for McLean, Virginia. Mr. McLean. <laughs> we uh, come back from a break, and Reed and Gideon have come back in to talk to Jen. Gideon asks first if he's finished his prayers. And Jen says, well, as you have said, the sun is set. Gideon says yes, introduces him to Dr. Reed. Uh, He asks if they can speak. And Jen says, yes, of course, I have a little time. (laughs) And then he has to explain to them that this was a joke, that he has all the time, of course, Gideon says, look, is there no way for this jihad to end? Can we end this thing? And Jen says, well, it will end when Allah wills its end. And Gideon says, well, how will you know it's Allah's will? And Jen just says, when the jihad ends. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, the riddle of the Sphinx all over again. (laughs) (laughs) Gideon says in a very 
admission, like I'm going to admit something big now. He says, uh, I've been lying to you. And Jen says, well, of course you have. Like he's known all along. Of course you've been lying to me. And Gideon says uh, that Reed has been outside watching us on monitors this whole time, watching your body language, trying to figure you out. Uh, Jen asks if he was successful, and Gideon says, somewhat. Reed says, your name is Jamal Abaza. Your son Amir was killed in 2003 in the bombing at the Mafuz Bazaar in Cairo. Since then, you've been recruiting MIS members in prison by convincing them that U.S. economic policies are exploiting third world nations and turning them into, you turn them into extreme fundamentalists by promising a better existence with Allah. Jen says, I would say you were more than somewhat successful. <laughs> uh, to paraphrase, ding, ding, and ding. <laughs> Gideon says what he didn't learn was where the MIS cell was going to make an anthrax attack in the U.S. at the New Crescent tonight. And Jen is like, I have no knowledge of such a thing. Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> uh... Uh, Gideon says, yeah, you do, Mr. Abaza, and you still got time. Then all of a sudden, in what I would call a terrible fake-out job, but whatever, Gideon puts his hand, hand to his ear like, what? What? Oh, no. What? Really? Uh, we've seen this little trick before, right, AJ? Yeah, Gideon's done this before, and uh, like you said, the acting... <laughs> Look, Manny Patinkin is a very good actor, but he's very bad at acting like he's acting. <laughs> yes, indeed. Gideon looks disturbed. He walks out of the room. Reed follows him. And Jen is there looking satisfied. And then he puts his hand out and starts to chant again. Then Gideon comes back in. And as he does, we can hear a TV report of a, of a breaking news of a terrorist attack. Jen can actually see the report airing from where he's standing or sitting. So it's, again, obvious to me it's set up, but what do I know? Because Jen appears to be buying it hook, line, and sinker. And he says, something has happened. And Gideon says, how could you? His acting was better here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, he, can, he, he knows how to act angry. He yeah. just doesn't know how to act surprised. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, quite uh, frankly is one of the hardest things for an actor to do is to act surprised when obviously it's been scripted. This is not a surprise. Yes. So Gideon says, how could you? You chose to contort Islam into an excuse for a life of violence. You perverted your faith to justify murder. And Jin says, well, now we are finally chatting, Gideon. <laughs> and Gideon says, you accuse Americans of of being puppeteers of the third world, yet you used your own people's faith tonight to make them dance for you. Why? Why is it always those who profess to be the most fervent believers in this war? They manipulate other people into dying for them. And Jen says, well, does your president go into battle? Which is a good point. Uh, or does he send your children? Uh, Gideon is like, tonight... All those innocent people. And Jen says, there's no such thing, Gideon. They were infidels. And they were engaged in activities that spread American policies all over the entire world. 
your incessant need to own things, material things. Your capitalism rests on the back of third world countries. No one's hands are clean. No one is innocent. And Gideon says, those people tonight, they were innocent. They never hurt you. Jen says, they hurt me by existing. Yes, the infidels shall fall at the hands of the righteous. That is when the jihad will end. Gideon says, so you're ready to murder 4 billion people. And Jen says that America has learned nothing from the past. You harden targets like your power plants, but you leave the soft route for our taking. What has happened tonight will affect your economy for years, the way September 11th affected air travel. And maybe the next time a giant shopping center opens, people will think twice before going. And maybe next time it'll be a school. Hey, 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 Gideon? Because Gideon has walked away during this. As soon as he heard the words giant shopping center opening, he turned around. Reed is there. He radios Garcia to tell her to shut the video feed down. And Jen, I think at this point, realizes his mistake. He says, has the sun not set yet? No. And so Jen is like, ah, crap. Oopsie. <laughs> well, Did I frankly, do that? He, he, he pretty much, he, he, he telegraphed it like a few sentences before he telegraphed it. It was like the, here we're going to give you a, a little bit of it so that the smarter of you out there can figure it out. And then we'll just tell you. It was like, you know, capitalism and buying things that they need. Oh, it's a mall. I'm like, it's a mall. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get out to the mall. We see Prentice on the phone. She's uh, getting the message that it's a shopping center. It's a mall. Uh, that it's a grand opening tonight, not long after sunset. That gives those guys about an hour. And Gideon says, God help us if they don't make it. Uh, we cut to Morgan, who's saying, let's hope, hope we have someplace to go. And JJ comes up and says, grand opening of the USA Mall today. It's the third largest in the country. Right smack in the middle of McLean, Virginia. And we do cut to a, a mall and see people all shopping, existing. Which, which, which is just silly because, you know. Grand opening, right? Well, yeah, like, did, did they have the ceremony yet? Like, are they just, what, did it open to three and they're shopping? Like, it just, it doesn't make sense that there'd be that many people already shopping if they haven't technically opened it yet. Yep. So Hotch is like, does look a little disturbed. He's like, let's move. Uh, when they're in the car, Morgan asks him what's going on with them. He looks like he's seen a ghost. And uh, Hotch lets him know, well, Haley was supposed to take Jack to the new mall to have his portrait taken. And Morgan tells him to go ahead and call her. And Hotch is like, it's a breach of security. And Morgan's like, "If you, you'll lose Haley and Jack. Screw this job. You won't have a life. Call. Yeah. Morgan's like, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> although, uh, although I think it's great because, you know, they're, they're on their way. So awesome. So you won't miss this photo shoot ever. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I do feel like this was like an unnecessary thing. I mean, I guess it tied it together, but it's like, let's add some more uh, attention to it by having us think that Haley and Jack are in danger. But I never felt that. So. It didn't really work for me. Yeah, I, I just think it, it sets up this this real battle that is going to be pervasive throughout all of Criminal Minds. It's, and we're going to see this kind of situation again and again 
where it's like, we know what's happening. We can't tell our families what's happening. Right. And so we're the only people who are concerned for our families right now. And that's, that's, that's hurting us because we can't stop this if we're not focused on the job. And if we could tell them, we'd probably be able to stop it from happening, but we're not allowed to tell them. It, it, it's an interesting kind of battle that goes on here. So I, I'm actually, I'm glad they introduced it here in a low stake situation because then it rings true later on. We don't have to keep explaining every time it happens. Well, it's against protocols. Like, you know, they can just shorthand it and go, you can't tell anybody. Even yeah. though it might make sense to allow them to tell select people, you know, with code words and, and catchphrases, you know. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if, like, he just had, had like, you know, Haley, uh, oh, uh, sorry, I have to go. The butterflies are <laughs> reminding me of my dead relatives, you know. Uh, yeah. So, something that, you know, some sort of, uh, the, the wedding is in the barn. Oh, okay, great. She knows to skedaddle. I think broccoli looks like little trees. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, they uh, get to the mall. Uh, they pretty much immediately find the van. And there's a dead body in there. Apparently, it's somebody that was uh, working for loading dock security. Uh, they decide that they shouldn't evacuate the mall because they'd have a mass panic. So they uh, spread out all over the place. The uh, Hutch goes to the security office. Basically, he sees that the guy there that's working there has access to all the cameras. He asks what this one particular camera is that they're looking at where you see four guys <laughs> sneaking, <laughs> sneaking along. And you wonder why wouldn't the security guy seem to have been secure, but maybe they just appeared on the camera as Hotch got there. Yeah, they kind of did. It was going to, have you seen anything unusual? No, I haven't seen anything unusual. What about these four guys on the roof? Yeah. Is that unusual? It's my first day. I assume there's four guys on the roof every day the mall's open. I don't have a baseline yet, Agent Hotchner. So, yes. Yeah, there's four guys on the roof, the East End. Hotch lets Morgan know. Nothing's on that side of the roof except for the air vents. So he tells Morgan it's the air vents. They're going for the air vents, which, I mean, that's where you would think they would be going if they wanted to spread some kind of chemical agent. That would make sense. So the Morgan and the FBI cops all rush over there. They're able to stop the guys on the roof. Don't move. Don't move. Put the device down. Put your hands where I could see them. They start to move against advice that they were just given. <laughs> and so they are fired upon. And uh, it looks like three of the guys get hit and go down immediately. But one manages to take off running. And I think that's just so we can have the dramatic scene of uh, Morgan catching up to him and shooting him and him falling through the glass ceiling to the mall floor below. And considering the, the buildup as to how many people were at this mall... There's not a lot of panic that goes on. You hear like a little bit of screaming, but you look down. There's like no one running away. It's just oh, yeah, and he fell through and landed. Okay, <laughs> there's no aftermath to it. <laughs> yeah, we next after a, a break, we see a report uh, about the robbery attempt, and Haley Hotchner is watching this report, and uh, Hotch comes home. Haley's Haley's there with Jack. They're fine. There's nothing to worry about because she canceled the appointment because they didn't want to do it without Hotch there. Oh, 
How sweet. Hotch is obviously super relieved. She asks him if everything's okay, and he's just like, yeah, everything's perfect. We cut to the BAU jet flying home. Get another quote from Gideon. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, in order to learn the most important lessons of life, one must each day surmount a fear. Prentice is talking to uh, Gideon, who again is playing chess with Reed at this point, because that's what they do on the jet. She says, uh, so when did you know you were going to have to trick him? And Gideon says, well, the very first time I talked to him, she says, you realize you couldn't break him? And Gideon says, I realized he was too smart and he was too smart to have had that next telephone register to him accidentally. So he knew that he was trying to draw them there. He wanted their presence at Gitmo to confirm that he was successful with his attack. And so Prentice said, and that's when you start moving up the time of his prayers. And Gideon said, if I used an actual clock, he probably would have caught on. And they're like, so it all was a chess game. And uh, Gideon is like, yeah, we won this round, but you heard him. Jihad never ends. Then he makes a move on the chessboard. Uh, he's, he mates Reed. And Reed is just like, I quit. Surrender. Yield. Capitulate. I'm going to go take a nap. Reed, has, <laughs> Reed is ticked. He still can't beat Gideon, or at least not this time. Because he, he did beat him one time before, right? At the end of one of those episodes? He, he came close. He came close. Was, you're getting better. Almost. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, Reed says, I'm going to go take a nap. And so Gideon says, hey, Prentice. And she's like, sir, uh, do you play? And Prentice says, yes, sir, I play. And she sits down. And that's the end of the episode. That's right. Gideon has warmed up to her, and she is now part of the team because if Gideon accepts her, everyone's going to accept her. Right. Well, AJ, that was the episode. Uh, how did you feel? Did we uh, win that episode? I mean, considering that had they been unsuccessful, millions, perhaps billions of people would have died. <laughs> I mean, this is the greatest save rate ever. Uh, yeah, I, you know, they... <laughs> They stopped the terrorist attack, yes. <laughs> and they did it with no fatalities uh, outside uh, of their control. So, yeah. <laughs> Good job. All right. Uh, yeah. Congratulations, BAU team. Good job. Happy for them this week. What, what's their record now, uh, uh, AJ? Moves them to six, two and two on the year. Excellent. So, also, each week... We like to do a little quiz that's been inspired by the week's episode. Will you now present it, Mr. Mass? Oh, I think so. I mean, you're asking me to present the quiz? <laughs> yes, I am. We're equals to you? <laughs> yes, indeed. Here is the quiz. Three questions I like to ask each week. I like the trivia. Have another podcast about trivia. Beat my guest. And I like to kind of bring that flavor here into felonious pundits. So let's go with question one. No multiple choice on the first two questions. Uh, you're going to have to come up with the answers for these. And we're going to riff on some of the co-stars that we had in this episode. Uh, firstly, 
There was our DEA agent who survived, uh, played by Lauren Stamil, uh, our chief DEA drug agent, for five episodes of what television show? During its first season, did Lauren Stamil play the love interest of the show's lead, teaching him many lessons along the way? I have no idea. I'm trying to picture her face, and she does seem a little familiar. Teaching him along the way. Uh, so this is someone who needs to be taught. A show. <laughs> a show about someone. One, one might say needs lessons learned. <laughs> oh, boy. So, AJ... I have no clue. I'm going to say, just as a guess, that she was on the show uh, The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> the Big Bang Theory, a fine guess. It is not correct. She played Professor Slater for several episodes in the first year. Of a TV show where she dated Mr. Jeff Winger at ah. the community. She was ah. the hot professor. Oh, okay. Yes. It's been a while since I watched Community, but I'm surprised that I even got it in the right, I mean, this comedy genre. <laughs> yes. Uh, she looks nothing like she looked on this show. So, <laughs> I mean, I saw it. I looked at the credit. I'm like, oh, yeah, but I wouldn't have pulled it. No, not at all. It's a good trivia question. Uh, number two. Number two. Hey, did you happen to catch this guy in this episode? He played Jin Dela. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. Real small role this this, this episode. Uh, yes. This, Jin Dela was played by Anthony Aziza, who also played the special aide to the president on a TV show called Commander in Chief which happened to debut the exact same time as Criminal Minds, but uh, that show was canceled after one season, which allowed him to be available to film a season two episode of Criminal Minds. (laughs) So who played the president of the United States on the show Commander-in-Chief? This is just my type of trivia, AJ, but for some reason... Last week and this week, so far, have not been very kind to me. I remember the name of a show, Commander-in-Chief. Clearly not as successful as The West Wing. (laughs) No. (laughs) Covering the same sort of territory, probably. I am not sure. The first name that came to mind is not going to be my answer, but I just thought it would be so lovely if this was who it was. The first name that came to my mind was Richard Kind. <laughs> hey, I'm the president of the United States, yeah? Uh, you want to negotiate or something? Oh, is this my jet? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that was a good impression or not, but I tried. <laughs> you tried. Um I'll give I'm you a hint. Think about what year this was and why they might have gone a certain way with Commander-in-Chief's president. Yeah, I'm thinking that this was uh, around the time that they thought maybe Hillary was going to be president and they probably had a woman president. I think maybe that was the, the 
the idea of the show. And I vaguely remember maybe they had a show like that. Uh, or maybe I'm conflating it with the the uh, show with David Duchovny's wife, uh, whose name... Taya Leone. Ta- Ta- Madam right. Secretary. Madam Secretary. So that could be what I'm conflating it with. It. But uh, I'm going to say the commander-in-chief was... I can't remember what that show that I'm trying to think of who it was. Uh, I'm going to say it was uh, only because she played a different kind of commander in chief on another show. I'm going to say Mary McDonald. <laughs> Mary McDonald. That's not a bad guess. It's certainly uh, uh, you were very accurate in the fact that this was indeed their, oh, Hillary might win. Uh, let's have a woman president in our fiction and see if we can will that into existence. Uh, show did not last, uh, collapsed, much like some campaigns. Uh, <laughs> this was Commander-in-Chief played by Ms. Jeff Goldblum herself, Gina Davis. Gina Davis. Ah. Well, that's kind of close. Yeah. Gina yeah, Davis. There you go. Yeah. That, I was just going because Battlestar Galactica. That's I, I, I got the reference. All right. <laughs> I didn't think you were making a Donnie Darko reference. <laughs> Dances with wolves? No. <laughs> All right. And now my favorite part of every episode. Question three of the quiz, where we preview next week's episode by you trying to guess from four choices which of these is the plot of Criminal Minds Season 2. Episode 11, entitled Sex, Birth, Death. Sex, Birth, Death. Is it A? Morgan's sister needs his help when her husband goes missing, and tomorrow is her due date. Is it B? Protests at a local abortion clinic turn violent, and the blame falls on a church leader with political aspirations. Is it C? Reed meets a young teenager who thinks that he might be a serial killer just waiting to happen. Or is it D? When two pregnant women both end up dead, the BAU must act quickly. To prevent a third victim. <laughs> oh, AJ. I... It's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I feel like these shows always have to have the um, the abortion clinic getting attacked episode. I think that's a, like a political hot, like, oh, it's an issue of the day. We got to have the abortion clinic episode. Uh, <laughs> much like they did on the bang, Big Bang Theory, you know. Uh, <laughs> so. Mm, bazinga! <laughs> um, I don't have a better guess, so that's going to be my choice. Choice B, the abortion clinic. Uh, episode clinic. I mean, certainly, it's it's a subject that is hot button, hot topic 
not not the mall store hot topic. We had the mall this week. Uh, so it would make perfect sense, which is why, of course, that is not the correct answer. No. No. No, no. Sex. Birth. Death. We're going to follow Reed and a young teen who thinks that he might become a serial killer. Ah. Nice. I, I'm looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it as well. I think this uh, is a really cool performance from a guest star uh, playing the young teen. And I will not spoil as to who it is, but uh, it is someone who goes on to do stuff. So, Oh, fun. I love it. Well, everybody, <laughs> that's the show for this week. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you had a great time. Uh, before I get into my normal ending spiel, AJ, uh, I do have a little. We do have a little bit of time here, and I want. Can you give me a fanfare? Uh, a royal fanfare, or a uh, happy fanfare, or a baseball charge fanfare? Uh, 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 let's hear your happy fanfare. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we have received an email. What? Yes, we did. At feloniouspundits.gmail.com. Uh, thank you so much. We have our second email. And I have to give a shout out to Linda Hoagland. Is, is that how you pronounce it? Linda? Well, Linda would have to tell us. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, so she wrote us a very nice letter. I won't get into all the parts that praise you and me endlessly and needlessly. <laughs> uh, although she does give you a nice shout out uh, and mention your Walking Dead podcast uh, appearances on RHAP, which I don't think we've mentioned here before. So uh they don't How? need the publicity, but yeah, yeah. I, 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 I promote us on them and not the other way around, but yeah. <laughs> yeah well, you know. That's all good. Yeah, no, we have a good time on that show with Jess and, and Chappelle and Josh. Uh, excellent. And uh, she does write in with a question, though, AJ. She says, uh, why do you think the L character was so unlikable? Is it that the writers didn't know how, how to ha write a strong, opinionated woman without being a B word? Uh, JJ is very well written and likable and one of her favorites through the entire series. Uh, there are, she does say there's other women added to the cast later who are very likable. Is it because they had a, just had a better writing team? Well, I think part of it is you are writing a character into the first season who's new to the team. And usually when you do that, that new to the team person is your point of view character. Uh, even go back to like the days of St. Elsewhere where, you know, Dr. Jack Morrison is your point of view character and, you know, he's likable because you want the audience to, to introduce them to everybody. Um, she's not really used as the point of view character. And Gideon is our point of view character the entire time. So, uh, it's very difficult to write the new person who is asking questions and doesn't know and is trying to fit in without them coming off as an outsider, abrasive, you know, maybe 
not sure is why do we do things this way? It can be really annoying. So it, it wasn't embrace the new character. Uh, it was make them antagonistic. And I think they kind of just leaned into that uh, and then threw on interesting character quirks. I mean, I, I thought it was very interesting to have that be like, you know, super feminist and, 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 and all that. It's just mm-hmm. at that point, it seemed to be all there is. And there were probably things going on behind the scenes with, with Lola Guadini not really fitting in. I mean, she did leave the show rather quickly <laughs> and, yeah. and it was because she wasn't happy there. So, you know, six of one, half of the other. I will contend that there was beef between Lola and the hair and makeup stylist for the show (laughs) 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 who gave her, maybe they didn't, they didn't like the character so much that they gave her that haircut for season two. (laughs) Well, just you wait and see, because we've got several seasons to go before we're done with this, this party here, but you, you are going to be mentioning haircuts quite a bit throughout the course of this show. Let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. But anyway, Linda Hoogland, thank you so much for your email. We appreciate it. And all the rest of you, send us an email. And uh, Yeah, I mean, just just like Anthrax, a little bit sustains us a long way <laughs> as a lot of spread. <laughs> wow, nice connection. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's the show, folks. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Valonius Pundits. Uh, we have a nice little Twitter that announces when our episodes are up and uh we thank you again and join us again next week when we'll talk about uh episode 11 let's talk about sex baby let's talk about birth and dh <laughs> bye bye keep profiling wheels up just as old elijah said to jezebel you better start to learn your lessons well Stephen Schwartz, Godspell.